you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's passage is 1 Corinthians 14, 26-40. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, g'day, City on Hill, Melbourne West. It's Pastor Luke here. So good to be with you again on the West Weekly. Feels like ages since I've been preaching here, uh, but it's great to be back. And what a passage. My gosh. Second half of 1 Corinthians 14 has lots of fascinating and controversial things about how we use our gifts, about the role of women in a public service and so on. There's about three different, maybe four sermons that I could write this week. And I'm thinking, actually, I might post a few links during the week. But what I really want to focus on today is the whole idea of order in Christian worship. That's one of the big things that comes out of this passage. Obviously, that's something that Pastor Dave Myers picked up on Sunday. Uh, but I really want to focus in on this. Because my guess is that it actually might be fairly foreign to us in lots of ways. We don't necessarily think a lot about how important it is to have an order and a structure in our worship together. I mean, just consider how Paul talks about the use of the gift of tongues. Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. There's some pretty clear rules that he's outlining here, aren't there? If you can use the gift of tongues, if you do have that, then fine, use it. But do it carefully. It should only be two, maybe three of you, and there always needs to be an interpreter. Whatever you say should be intelligible to others. Now, if you've been in a church that does practice the use of tongues, I would guess that that's probably not the way it looked like. 
it often tends to be a very spontaneous thing. And actually, it's often a very personal and a private thing. It's just between you and God, really. And even if it's said out loud, it's really more of an individual experience. So Paul's vision for the use of tongues might be quite foreign. And I'd suggest it's not just the specifics of tongues that's quite confronting almost in this passage. It, I'd suggest his whole emphasis on order itself might be quite foreign in general for us. You see, we, have, uh, we live in a very expressive culture where individuality is greatly prized. It's the culture where you're told to, you do you. Just be who you are. We often hear people say on reality TV, you know, I've just got to be true to myself. And authenticity is the big value in our culture. And we bring that into the church. Uh, it's all about personal expression, about what feels right, about being authentic. And that means being instinctive. And anything that runs counter to that feels awkward and probably unspiritual in some kind of way. So we might balk at the, the idea of using the prayer book. It feels weird praying words that we didn't come up with ourselves. And often people are very uh, wary of the concept of liturgy, the idea that a service needs to be structured. Uh, that's because we're, we're very skeptical and afraid almost of, of ritual. We're so afraid of dead ritual that we can't imagine that there could be any life in ritual. And yet here in 1 Corinthians 14, we're being told that order is actually important, that God is a God of order and all things should be done decently and in order because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, verse 33. And so today I want to explore why order is so important. I've got three ideas. The first one is that order is respectful. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Exodus all the way through. Um, if it's your first time, you'll probably be in for a bit of a surprise. I mean, it starts, as you might expect, uh, God's people are enslaved and they're under the pump. The scene is set and then Moses emerges, this great hero we discover, and we find him before Pharaoh, boldly challenging the, the most powerful man in the world at that time. Uh, and then we see the vivid drama of the plagues and the actual exodus as God's people come up through, out of the land of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea miraculously. It's all very Prince of Egypt. And then there's even this next little bit up to about chapter 20 where it's, it feels like that Charlton Heston movie about the Ten Commandments where he receives God's law on, the Mount, si on Mount Sinai and there's lightning. It's so far so dramatic, right? That's, that's what Exodus, the first half of Exodus, feels like. But then the second half feels very different. It kind of slows down. It turns out that there's more to the law than just the Ten Commandments. And, and we have a number of chapters outlining this line by line. And then much of the rest of the book, about 10 chapters in fact, is devoted just to the tabernacle. There's instructions for, for building it, what's in it, how they should make it, where they should put things. It's, it's really quite a gear shift and it can be quite hard to read. And we're asking ourselves, well, why is this so important? Why do we need such exact detail? Well, I think it's because God wants worship to be ordered. God is powerful. God is holy. And we need to respect that. Uh, the Old Testament makes that very, very clear. You see, when people don't 
follow God's rules and don't follow the order that God has created for worship. There's severe and devastating consequences. In Leviticus, in Leviticus 10, we read about Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, the priest, and we're told that each of them took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, there's a lot of details around that, but I want you to see they're in worship and they're trying to do something. They're trying to do their own thing. But we're told that what they did was offer unauthorized fire, which God had not commanded them. And so they are punished. They die. There's another story much later on in the time of King David, a guy called Uzziah. He's a guy who's helping King David. Basically, the Ark of the Covenant has been taken away from God's people by the Philistines, and they're bringing it back, and they're bringing it back on a cart. And the Ark is not quite stable, and so it starts to slip, and Uzziah reaches out to try and catch the Ark. And then we're told in 2 Samuel 6 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there beside the ark of God. It's extraordinary. Uh, now, we're told that King David is really angry about this. I mean, surely Uzzah was just trying to do the right thing. He was trying to catch the ark. But both Uzzah and David had disobeyed God. You see, God had laid out the order for how things should be done. If ever the ark had to be carried, it was to be held by poles. You weren't actually touching the ark itself. And it was never to be carried on a cart. It was supposed to be carried by the priests, the Levites. And they were the only people supposed to be involved in that. And it seems that David and Uzzah had kind of ignored all of that stuff. And we're actually told here that the word error, that in that in that verse, the word error could also be translated as rashness or even irreverence. And it points to what's happening here. Uh, David and Uzzah didn't follow the order that God had prescribed for his worship. And eventually King David actually acknowledges this and makes sure that the rules are followed properly. That's so some amazing kinds of stories. And, and we get this picture of the importance of order. Uh, right through the Bible. See, it's not just in the Old Testament either. Uh, worship after the time of Jesus is very different. There seems to be uh, a lot a lot more freedom in how we worship. There's not the same kinds of uh, strict uh, order in, in, in everything, but yet there's still a principle of order. And we see this right through uh, the early church. And so you think of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. They're struck down for lying to the Holy Spirit. They don't follow the way that they should worship. They, they lie about their generosity. And then uh, the church at Corinth itself seems to have experienced some, some uh, dramatic kinds of, ex of moments where God was challenging them for the way they worshipped. Uh, it seems that they were doing, celebrating the Lord's Supper in an irreverent way. And so they were suffering because of it. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the blood of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So even after Jesus, 
it's important that we follow a sense of order in our worship. Now, we find these kinds of stories very confronting. We don't like the idea of God being so strict. It feels harsh, might feel unfair. We find it un- hard to understand why it can be like this. I mean, people are trying to worship it. So surely that's fine. Surely that's acceptable. But frankly, we actually just need to get over ourselves. I mean, God is God. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how we feel about what he does. We might object to what he suggests, but he has the power to enforce what he wants. And we need to respect that. He is the one who is being worshipped, and so he gets to dictate how he is worshipped. We need to respect the order that God has set up. It matters. Hebrews 12, 28, uh, uh, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We really have to respect that. God is powerful. God is holy. And so we need to honour that. But I don't just want us to be fearful of God in our worship. We pursue order in our worship, not just because it's respectful, but because order is loving. Uh, You've probably heard of the book, uh, The Five Love Languages. It was written by a guy called Gary Chapman, and it's basically become a kind of cottage industry. You can find books, uh, The Five Love Languages for children, for teenagers, for families, for singles, for your pet dog, whatever it is. The basic premise of these books is that different people and your pet dog uh, have different ways of being loved. So some people need words of affirmation, for instance. Other people really prioritize physical touch or acts of service, quality time, gift giving, whatever it is. And this is very helpful for you to know because it helps you know how to love the person that you're trying to care for. You know, it's your, your spouse, you know how to love what they will need and how they will respond. And in a sense, it's a little bit like that with God. We love God by obeying his commands and by ensuring that we worship him in an orderly fashion. God is a God of order. He's not a God, not of confusion, but of peace, verse 33. He likes order. And you see this right through the scriptures. You think about how the world was made. So God is a God of order. And so he he feels loved when we worship him in an orderly way. But it's not just that we love God by worshipping him in an orderly way. It's that God loves us by preserving that order, by asking us to keep that. And I think that's one of the big points that Paul has been trying to make to the Corinthians right through chapter 12 to 14. You see, whenever they came together, it was a bit of a free-for-all. People had these dramatic, spectacular gifts and they just used them willy-nilly and often for their own benefit instead of for others, and not for the, the good of the whole church. And this was causing confusion and no doubt hurt. You see, there is great danger if we use our spiritual gifts improperly. Take tongues. That's a great blessing if someone is given the gift of tongues. God can use that to reveal great things to that person and and to others. But if we take this gift out of its proper context, it can actually be quite damaging. If we view it the wrong way, 
So some of you, for instance, have come from churches where the gift of tongues was absolutely central. This was the thing, the sign of spirituality. And there was a kind of a hierarchy. If you could speak in tongues and you were spiritually legit, but if you couldn't, you were looked down on. In fact, you might even not have been seen as a Christian. People would have questioned your whole faith. Now, that's incredibly damaging. I mean, for a start, that's just not true. Uh, we're saved by grace, by the work of Christ, and we receive that gift by faith when we put our trust in him. And to suggest then that you have to do something else, that you have to also be able to speak in tongues is heretical uh, and very, very damaging. Because if you've grown up in that context, you might never have had assurance of your own faith. It's incredibly dangerous. You might have wondered perhaps if God is holding out on you, like I'm desperate for this gift, I'm not getting it, so can I trust God at all? That's where gifts are used in the wrong way and we ignore the order that God has placed for us and that can be damaging. We'll take the gift of prophecy. Uh, I have a friend who's single, which she just love to be married, have a family, but she knows that that's pretty unlikely right now. Uh, she's in her early 40s. She also has endometriosis. And uh, if she got tomorrow, married tomorrow, it would, may well be quite difficult for her uh, to fall pregnant. A couple of years ago, though, she went to a church event where there's some people uh, giving prophecies. And she received a personal prophecy from someone who said that she was going to have a child. And, and this really unsettled her. You see, she trusts God and she wants to follow him. She knows that this prophecy isn't guaranteed, but she'd love it to be true. So this prophecy has actually become a very difficult thing for her to live with. It can encourage her, but it also can be a, a source of discouragement as well. So she can't actually be sure of it unless it comes true. So I'm not sure if this was the right way for her to receive this. She doesn't know what to do with it. Now, that's actually quite a mild example. Lots of people receive highly specific prophecies, and if they don't come true, it can really damage their faith, really affect their lives. They're sure that God is going to do something. When he doesn't do that, they feel disappointed and disillusioned. But that doesn't need to happen. If we worship God in an orderly fashion, if we follow the way God has structured our worship, then that doesn't need to happen. If prophecy is done in an orderly way, then it can be a blessing rather than something that's uncertain. And so God is actually trying to show us here that the order, the way that he's laid out worship is loving. It's not just that we love God by doing it the right way, but he loves us. He protects us and looks after us. The third reason, so order is respectful, it's loving, and thirdly and finally, it's beautiful. When we follow the order that God has crafted for us, for our worship, then it points to the beauty of God. Uh, earlier in chapter 14, Paul talks about how uh, unbelievers might respond to tongues and prophecy. Uh, if tongues are a special form of God's revelation to someone, uh, they need to be interpreted so they need to be made intelligible. When that doesn't happen, it can be very confusing or weird for people, particularly if they're not Christians. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? I mean, 
That's the danger, he's saying, if we don't observe the order that God has set out for worship. If we just make up our own rules and just choose your own adventure, then it can just be a mess. It can be unsettling for people. Uh, back in the 1990s, there was this thing called the Toronto Blessing. It was this charismatic revival that saw all kinds of remarkable and strange things that were considered uh, manifestations of the Spirit. There were things like speaking in tongues, but lots of other things too, like laughing in the spirit or people barking in the spirit like 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 dogs or something like that and my wife once visited a service somewhere where a woman and her teenage daughter were in, sitting in front of her and as soon as the service began that one of the girls just jumped up and started running around the church the sanctuary and jumping up on stage in the middle of everything else and it was kind of unnerving and strange to watch now just imagine what that would be like for someone who doesn't know anything about church. It would probably seem unsettling, maybe even embarrassing, incomprehensible. I don't think that's following the order that God has crafted for our worship. However, when we use the gifts of God, the way God has prescribed for them, in the order that God has given us, then something very different happens. Good things happen. Verse, uh, verse 24 of chapter 14. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is, God is really among you. You see, if we follow the order, follow the pattern for God's gifts, we reveal the God who is using them, working them. And people can respond to that. That's ultimately the point of all of this. God gives us gifts to build the church. Chapter 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's a manifestation of God. And when that ha happens in the right way, when we follow the order that God has created for us, then we show what God is like. We show that to each other and we show that to the person who's coming in and visiting, the person who doesn't know anything about God. But when they see the manifestation of the Spirit in God's people, they start to sense God. They sense their, the God of order who created them. They sense the God who's come to save them. You see, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. There's confusion in this world because of sin. Humans have defied and disrupted the order that God created for us. We seek our own glory rather than God's. And so we disrupt everything around us and the community of God. But in Christ, God came to restore order and to bring peace. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took on all of this disorder. He succumbed to it. He humbled himself to die on the cross. And at that cross, he brought peace. Peace between us and God. He restored order. And when we follow this God, when we trust and respect him, when we see the love that comes through in the order that he's created for us, we start to point people back to him. So why don't we do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God of order. You created this world perfectly and beautifully, and we thank you for that. We confess, Lord, that our sin has broken and disrupted that. 
We thank you, Lord God, that you sent Jesus to get rid of all the confusion and to bring peace. And that Jesus did that on the cross for us. Help us to trust you. And then help us, Lord, to follow you, recognizing that the way that you've prescribed worship is good and right and loving and beautiful. May people see the way we worship and see you as well. May we use the gifts, the manifestation of the Spirit. May we use these gifts for your glory, not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.